Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today, we've got the story of Staff Sergeant Alec Harlovich, a Marine serving in Helmand Province in 2011 with Echo Company, part of the 4th Recon Battalion, rolled up under the 4th Marine Division. So Helmand Province has proven to be um, the deadliest province in Afghanistan for coalition forces. I don't have the data in front of me, but I would assume that carries over then to Afghan forces as well as Afghan civilians. And the reason for that is that it's important. It's an important reason. It's an important area for the Taliban, which is why they have chosen to continue to fight for it. Um, and because it's important to the Taliban and they want to maintain control, then it's important to the Afghan government and the United States because they want to wrest it from Taliban control. The reason it's important to the Taliban is has to do with the agricultural um, output from Helmand. It's right in this poppy belt, produces a lot of poppy and in turn opium that is, um, you know, it's a black market. It's an illegal trade in Afghanistan, but in turn, it's like any criminal activity when there's something illegal, there's money to be made in that thing. So there's a couple ways the Taliban would make, would and could and do um, make money in this trade. It's going to be, you know, maybe providing protection, um, enforcing tolls to get the product to and from, um, any number of things. I mean, think of any country in the world when there's an illegal product, how do people make money um, growing and maneuvering that product to market? So it's a major source of revenue for the Taliban. And if we're going to try to reduce their influence around the country, hitting them in the pocketbook is going to be helpful. Another key note about Helm province is it's in the South. It's predominantly Pashtun, and that is where the bulk of the Taliban movement draws its support from. So the Taliban originated in the south in Kandahar, um, right next to Helmand province. And there's going to be a little more local support. The Taliban, um, you know, friends and family, if you will. It's a homegrown movement. So easier to recruit, perhaps. Um, more Taliban may call Helmand home. They may be more familiar with the terrain, which would make it easier for them to fight. But they're also probably going to stick it out and fight more for their home territory than somewhere in the eastern part of the country. I think that's also one of the reasons you see the the vicious fighting is they're fighting for their home turf. And that can't be said all across the country. There are, you know, especially in the east where there's still and always has been heavy, heavy fighting, you often have militants coming across the border from Pakistan. And even if they're Afghans to begin with, um, they're maybe not going to fight for their home area. They might be, maybe they are recruited from the South and they move into Pakistan for a bit and then come across the border and attack into Paktika. Are they going to fight as hard in Paktika as they would in their neighborhood in Helmand or in Kandahar? I don't know. Usually the answer to that is no, not specific to Afghanistan, but just specific to mankind or general in mankind. So it's a deadly area. It's a deadly area for everybody. Um, it's a nasty area to be stuck in over the last 20 years. Now, if we're looking at the Taliban strategy in, well, across the country, you, you tend to not see 
large force on force battles. So if you're the Taliban, you don't want to go toe to toe with any large conventional military because you're not going to win that fight. So the strategy has to be something that you, you can win. And something that we've seen really take form is what I would call harassing attacks. Harassing attacks are, they might be short. Um, they're not necessarily going to be pitched battles. They might be, you know, if, if the Taliban think they have an advantage, they might stick it out a little bit longer. But generally speaking, harassing attacks can be conducted. It can be one person with a rifle. One person with a rifle can conduct a harassing attack, or it could be a little bit larger, 5, 10, even 15. But you're going to see, as we dive into more and more of these stories, it's very rare that the Taliban make an attempt to overrun a U.S. or allied position or wipe out an entire force. It happens, especially up in the east. Now, there's going to be some cases in the south as well, but that's not their forte. They're, anytime they try to do that, they're going to lose a lot, lose a lot of soldiers. So it's not often they're going to try that as their objective. Harassing attacks, on the other hand, do a couple things. One, this is a war for the people. It's a war for the support of the people. If, if the Taliban can have 51% support of the local population, they're going to win. So, you know, there's a handful of ways to uh, gain the support of the population, but one of them is to make sure that you're the only option. And to do that and get the United States and maybe the Afghan government to, to cede control, the Taliban have to continually say, hey, we're here. Don't forget about us. Well, what better way to do that than every so often firing shots at the other group, the other group being Americans or Canadians or British or, or Afghan military that are stationed in and around helmet. So just firing a few shots, it doesn't even have to be effective. A little bit of gunfire reminds the people that you're still there and you're a viable option. There's another candidate vying for their attention. So keep in mind, you're going to have local Afghan leaders and American military leaders saying, hey, we've got this area ready to go. We're bringing peace and prosperity. So you can hear that. But if you go home and you hear gunfire, does it feel like it's peaceful? Nah. The second part is who's going to have the staying power in this fight? And the Taliban from day one have bet that they have the staying power over the United States and coalition forces, even over portions of the Afghan government. And what I mean by that is to go back to the comment of who's going to fight harder for their home turf, the, the inhabitant of that home turf or the outsider coming in saying we want to wrest control. And the Taliban are making the bet that it's not going to take one-to-one -one casualties for the United States to say we've had enough. It's just going to take some fraction. So I don't know what that number is. Taliban don't know what that number is, but they're betting that they're saying we don't have to have success on every one of these attacks, but if we get lucky on one out of 10 or one out of five, is that enough to make the Marines, make the Army, make the United States say, God, what are we doing in Helmand? Maybe. It's worth a shot. So you're going to see a lot, a lot, a lot of these harassing attacks that really aren't there's really no expectation that it's going to cause overwhelming casualties against the U.S. forces, but it doesn't have to, right? It's a long game. On October 4th, 2011, Staff Sergeant Alec Harlovich was leading a squad of Marines on patrol in Helmand Province. 
They could expect enemy contact. It was rather common. Again, we're talking about these harassing attacks, most often harassing attacks, rather than some sizable enemy force trying to overrun you. Nonetheless, that doesn't make it any less deadly. Those are the same bullets, rockets, mortars, RPGs that are coming at your position. Shortly after they begin their patrol, they're near Gora, the town of Gora in Helmand province. They're engaged by enemy fighters. Staff Sergeant Harlovich is hit twice, falls to the ground, begins checking himself for wounds. The heat of battle, the adrenaline is high, there's, there's smoke and noise and, and dust. It, it sounds silly to have to check where you're wounded, um, but it's a common thing. People often in war are wounded and don't know it. So to, to get knocked to the ground, he knows something happened and he's starting to check, checking his body to find out where am I hit? What happened here? In that check, he finds out that he was hit twice in the body armor. So the body armor stopped the rounds and they didn't penetrate further. And he decides at that point, well, as he gets knocked to the ground, the medic, and I wrote his name down so I didn't get it wrong here. Corporal Matthew Chen is the medic and sees a Marine go down and decides he's got to go over there as is his job to get over there and, and treat him. But as Staff Sergeant Harlovich recognizes that he's not actually wounded, maybe just a little wind knocked out of him because the, the plate carrier stopped it, he waves off Chen, and in the process, Chen gets uh, wounded on his way back to his covered position. At this point, Staff Sergeant Harlovich decides, we're going to end this fight. Now, there's a challenge with any one of these engagements because it's nine times out of 10, the Taliban ambushing American or Afghan government forces, nine times out of 10, especially on these type of patrols when you're going out just trying to be seen and around the population. When they're setting in these ambushes and setting in these attack positions, they're using the terrain. And the terrain in southern Afghanistan includes the structures that are made out of thick mud walls. And these mud walls, there's not a good comparison in the United States. So, I mean, they'll stop bullets. They'll stop big bullets. They will withstand mortar blasts. I've seen them withstand bombs. I mean, they, they don't break easily. So if, if a Taliban fighter can get behind one of those, they can fire out through sometimes just little slits in the wall called that we would call murder holes because they just stick the rifle out and fire through and, and you had no chance of, of getting back through that. But why not get behind that wall if you're a Taliban fighter? Put yourself in an advantageous position. And remember, we're talking about harassment attacks. They don't have to kill every one of these Marines. They just have to, A, let the people know they're still there. So already mission accomplished. And B, hopefully, hopefully they can get a Marine or two. That'd be a, an added bonus. So they don't have to have a perfect field of view. They don't have to um, have the perfect ambush set. They just have to be well defended enough and start firing a few shots. Now, they're accurate shots, as is evidenced by the um, two that hit Staff Sergeant Harlovich. But now you have this issue of how are you going to break up this ambush? If you're the Marines, how are you going to break up the ambush? And there's a couple major ways you can go about doing it. The number one that's usually taught, and we've talked about it before, is to assault and maneuver right into the ambush, push into it. It's a challenge in Afghanistan, specifically in Helmand province, because of the nature of the IED threat. They are so prevalent. And it's hard, it's hard to explain how many IEDs there are in some of these areas of Southern Afghanistan, improvised explosive devices, homemade mines that will kill or maim anybody walking over it. 
And in many cases, the Taliban would lay them in expectation for you to come get me. So they're going to shoot from 50 yards back. And when you move towards that position down to one or two only available options to get there, there's three, four, five IEDs waiting for you. So it's a common tactic to lure Americans in and, and kill and wound more. So a quick assault of that position is not necessarily in the cards. So let's move to option two, roughly, you know, option two. It's going to be air power or field artillery to suppress, or, or we'll throw mortars in the mix as well. That will suppress the enemy, potentially can come from over the top and, and hit him behind this wall, but it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, you don't know how much time you're going to have in one of these situations. So it's possible, requires a fair amount of coordination, depending on how close you are, it may or may not be feasible. And you're going to have to make sure there's no aircraft in the area. I mean, realistically, 10 minutes if they're, if they're on their game and the mortar crews or artillery crews are, are, are on it, 10 minutes. And then you got to hope, is that first round going to do it? Or are we going to have to start walking it in? So it's a good option, but you have to recognize you're going to need time. The third option is overwhelming firepower. Make the enemy regret that they even started this engagement. That is the option that Staff Sergeant Harlovich chooses. He grabs a light anti-tank weapon, a law, and maneuvers across an open field into position to where he can engage the enemy uh, fighting position. This entire time, his guys are still under pretty substantial volume of enemy fire. He fires the law into the enemy fighting position, destroys it, and forces the enemy to flee. Having broken up the ambush, he spends the next few hours pursuing the enemy and kind of um, pushing, continuing to push them further back from, from this ambush site. His actions in pushing through that ambush, breaking it up, and then driving the enemy out would ensure that his Marines survived that fight. They weren't pinned down, weren't killed, and more weren't wounded. And for his bravery and his courage in charging across open ground, finding the spot to fire that law and destroying that enemy position and breaking up the ambush, Staff Sergeant Alec Harlovich will be awarded the Silver Star. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.